Welcome to the only show dedicated to a new way of delivering healthcare. This new model has no name, but let's go ahead and call it direct contracting or digital first care. The new way centers on opting out of the games bigs play with their rigged dice, their crooked game board, and their purchased referees. And if you're looking for a future where everyone wins, that's the doc, the consumer, the employer, and with assured amazing outcomes and measurably lower costs that are ranging up to 60%, you're in the right place. I'm Ron Barshop, your host. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the new healthcare economy. So the next gen healthcare has five winners. And that's how we know it not only it will succeed, but it's probably the chief reason why it is succeeding as large as it is. And I'll get into that. So here are the five parties that have to win. The patients, which I call consumers, because that's what they're called in every other vertical. The payers, which are employers, which are the hero of this drama. The providers, which are the physicians. The population health outcomes and cost. If those five are all winners, then we have not only triple aim, but quintuple aim, which is really where we're at today with this new model. So we call it employer direct healthcare because it really encompasses a lot. And it's the any kind of care where a payer and a provider skip a middleman to direct contract. So that's with primary care, with surgery, with imaging, with pharmacy, with labs. Rachel Means, who is a guest in show 73, is a fine example of that. And today's guest is too. The payer will skip the bukas and the PBMs and the preeminence of the middles are dying because Jeff Bezos predicted this 10 years ago and it's now happening in healthcare. Some great examples, and there's 25 million patients we have headcounts on with just these companies alone. Premise Health with Jamie Dorsett, who was on our show recently, has 11 million patients right now. They're the, the largest in primary care. Paladino Health is probably number two and they have about a million patients. That's Gaurav Dial. You've heard him speak on the show too. Crossover Health, we had Scott Shreve, and we also had Jay Parkinson, the founders of that, um, have about a million. And then 98.6 with Brad Youngren. Uh, Next Terra Health out of Denver. Medici, as I mentioned earlier. Sano Surgery, Green Imaging, Redirect Health. Babylon Health is going to be on our show pretty soon. One Medical went public last year. So these are all examples of direct contracting where the employers skip the middleman. Today's guest is Dan Thompson. And he started the Clinical Wellness Network, which I can't wait to hear where you're at, Dan, and also Thompson Risk. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Ron, for, for having me. It's been uh, a couple of years of, you know, honestly watching you uh, put remarkable posts on LinkedIn. And I love your, uh, I'm going to call it the Barship shorthand. Um, I'm, I'm now being confused when I read normal English. I, I start to think like Ron would have made that a shorter version. And I, I like the way that you write on LinkedIn, so much appreciated. Well, thank you. That's why um, Jeremy, our, my producer who's listening in, called me, is he really liked the way we were saying things and he thought we needed a bigger platform. So we're now on show, you're going to be show number 120. Congratulations. Wow, very cool. Yeah, two, over two uh, years worth of shows now. Um, well, what I'm excited about the, this network, last time you and I spoke over the phone, you were putting together a lot of different up and down the east uh, and west coast of Florida, but the urgent care and other types of medical centers were buying into this direct primary care, and you were bringing them employers and patients to add to their roles. Is that where we're at right now? Tell, give us an update. 
Yeah, so, so you know, this goes back quite a few years. Um, for those that are probably hearing this and don't know me, I've been doing employee benefits, um, started an early career out of grad school, the late 90s, uh, 99, 2000 with Paychex and was uh, selling employers. And of course the payroll company bundled normal status quo benefits. And then I did farm sales for a year, um, hawking anti-spasmodic and hypertensive products and found the pharmaceutical industry side to be just a complete um, non-transparent nightmare. So I went back to payroll. I was in my early twenties at the time, I'm revealing my age, I guess. And I went to ADP and then a few years there being in President's Club and selling payroll and benefits. I spent the next 13 years uh, where I became majority owner of a regional employee benefits and commercial insurance firm that did almost 20 million in revenue, 165 employees, and it sold in 18 to private equity. And so we, the agency did really well with the private equity sale, but what it said to me was, it's an opportunity for me to do it my way. And I was really tired after almost 15 years uh, going to employers and proliferating the big lie, right? The big lie of, hey, you've got a 30% increase, but I'm sorry to tell you, it's because somebody in your group has a really bad condition and we're going to water it down. But because we're the best, because we're the very best and the biggest, right, we're going to get you a 7%. So I've always been the type that asks questions. I got in trouble in Catholic school probably because of that, but I, I wanted to really start my own. And so, so 2015, actually, well, let me go back even further. 2007, I was bringing small employers while I was a sleeping insurance agent, so to speak, not awake to the reality. I was bringing employer clients to doctors, right? I was bringing doctors out to nonprofit clients and doing physicals on site and uh, a lot of knowledge learned in the commercial insurance business with workers comp and OC health and how doctors work with clients. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm on the employee benefits side. Why don't I bring doctors in to do physicals for just wellness checks, like preventive physicals, check cholesterol, blood pressure. So I had doctors, I was negotiating terms with doctors to come in and do on-site work directly with the employers. And I'm like, man, this really needs to, this, this, this idea of disintermediation, as you call it, is something that's very obvious. And that has to be the big change, right? It's, you, you go back to like Justin Ford Kimball, right? In 1920, when he, he decided that it made sense to do a prepaid membership program for the teachers in the great city of Dallas. And I think if, if I remember correctly, it was $50 a month, right? That he negotiated with the hospital so that the teachers could go in and have no other cost and have babies. And just imagine that it was transparent. So some teachers that had babies went into the hospital and had children, didn't have any cost. It was all transparent and others didn't use it. But the $50 went to the doctors at the hospital anyway. Long story short, you all know, Justin Ford Kimball became the basis of what was the very transparent and honest Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. And so, you know, as we look at this, and I'm not telling most of the, the listeners anything they don't know, but we know what happened as the insurance business evolved, right? It went a very sharp ugly in the mid 1900s, 1960s, a little greater than the mid, but these, these fixes 
have to be scaled. So I love what you're talking about. I love what Premise Health and Medici and Paladina and Crossover and Santa and One Medical, all great organizations. I love the work that they're doing. I love that 25 million people are going to the around the middle, right, and, and seeking services. Not to mention the fact that there's other things out there now like sharing plans, right? Sidera, we're one of the largest affiliates with Sidera. We do we help a lot of employers utilize Sidera, Sidera sharing. So, you know, I had this idea. Uh, I wanted to create a, a better platform for direct care. So trying to, we're right around 2018. By the time I left that agency and sold that business uh, to start my own, I created Clinical Wellness Network as the idea of a collaboration between employers, physicians direct, and simply just a membership-based medicine approach. And I watched a lot of the legislation occur around the country around direct care. And so, you know, where it's gone in almost, what, through a little over three years now, we have about 1,700 providers on our platform. We work with Amazon. Um, we have a, our own SaaS platform now that we created. We've been working this for a while. It's connected to other networks of direct care. And we have a referral network of brokers, payroll companies, PEOs, commercial brokers that refer customers to this solution. And we're excited about the growth. In fact, we're changing the model. Um, I would say, I would call it our OS3. Like OS1 was literally like, my wife thought I was crazy, printing ID cards in the bedroom and hand delivering them and doing the auto debits from the ACH from the employer's account to the doctor's account. You know, not keeping any money in the middle because my goal was to try to earn um, other business with the client. Maybe that's life insurance, maybe it's group health insurance, what have you. So as we've continued to materialize, we've added some great things like direct radiology, drug pricing, no insurance agent guarantee if you life insurance, so no insurance agent in the middle. And things are really turning to be um, turning out pretty awesome. And it's, it's a good feeling to be able to bring employers solutions where they get the primary, urgent, acute care, non-emergent medications directly. And so we continue to build on that. And it's, uh, it's exciting. It's, it's actually exciting to come to work. I don't have to give 38% renewal increases that are not the truth anymore. What is your um, typical size client or maybe your sweet spot client? What is What are you looking for out there? Um, target market, you know, there's it's interesting because we have clients that were fully insured that were anywhere from two to 50, right? That's mainly the small group marketplace, community rated. Depends on the state. Some states are community rated a little bit bigger than that, but sweet spots in the middle, the 51 to 250, and then we have some groups in the 500 to 10,000 that are self-funded that are literally not using any insurance where they have a TPA with our direct care provider handling the primary care. And then we use an RVP vendor like a six degrees or we, or we put it in a captive model where it's RVP and do some of that work. But those groups are extremely progressive and obviously for, for any advisor listening to this or for that matter um, disruptor you know you've got this is huge huge advice you have two types of buyers right you have the buyer that's 
HR, right? People process, all they care about is people and process and that's fine. And then your CFO buyer is profits P&L. So in order to do it right, you have to have synergy with both sides or you're going to waste your time. And I think a lot of people are probably hearing that and going center of the target, right? Do you work in all states or are you mostly Florida? We're licensed in every single state. Thompson Risk, myself, uh, we're insurance licensed everywhere. So you're working in Texas now where I am? Yes. Yep. We do a lot of oil industry in Houston. Uh, we have a big primary care clinic. We have, uh, in Texas, we work with Primacare, Dr. J's Urgent Care, NextCare, the Diamond Direct Network, and Vital Life Wellness Centers, which is in uh, San Antonio. So we do a lot in Colleen, San Marcos, uh, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas. Yeah, Texas is a great state. Great. Now let's talk about the network. How You said it's that several thousand doctors. How many patients are going through this network right now in your platform? On the individual SaaS, since we weren't really doing individuals, we only started that back in August. I would say under a year, a couple thousand. Um, changes by the day. We're always sort of re-engineering the pricing because the list of services, some things work, some things don't work. Some providers want to offer certain services and some don't. So that's unique. Employer count is around 5,000, a little less than I would like it to have been, but we're doing it brick by brick. I think that um, as we continue to expand and grow it, one of the things people have to understand is the way we're doing the model is some of the employers that we have, which are a lot of them are the 51 lives, they're required to have ERISA and ACA compliant benefits. Well, under current regulations, direct primary care is not considered an ACA qualified benefit. So a lot of the groups we have have traditional insurance, right, that they've had in place. You get about half the employees that want to stay on the traditional insurance and half the employees that want to go to these non-traditional solutions, be it Sidera sharing or a reference-based pricing type of model where there's no network that's paired with direct care. So it's pretty unique. And it's an interesting mixture. But I think as we grow the individual SaaS side, um, that's going to grow tremendously because we've got some unique things with social determinants, genomics, and the consumer's intent around what their needs are from a healthcare purchasing perspective that will help us target and identify. Because I think I should say it like this, you know, we're, we're more, we have the programmatic and technology solutions for the provider, but nobody, what, one thing that we have that nobody else has is the ability to help the practices grow. Like there's a lot of really good solutions out there that are SaaS models for practices to use, but they're handed to the practice. They take their fair cut. And how does the doctor grow? Well, you don't see too many guys with a stethoscope and a white lab coat driving around, knocking on doors and making cold calls, right? They need to have, they need help to grow that piece. So we've, we're creating some proprietary things that will cause business development and cause business to grow for these providers. Because we really would like to fulfill my BHAG of helping a million people. I think we can get there. 
with the right scale. How close are you now? I'm, I'm obsessed with headcount. Well, you know, from Thompson Risk perspective, I think we have 10 or 15,000 across all of our employer clients, depending on whether you look at the small ones, the middle market, the large. We have an opportunity right now. It's a uh, medical purchasing organization. And that's, I mean, really, what I want to say about it is about 6,000 employees, 15 states. And we're essentially carving out uh, and letting the physicians handle employees domestically and get credit for that. And of course, they need catastrophic coverage. So it'll be a combination of Sedera sharing and a traditional carrier. But uh, I think my, I have, I think that what's remarkable and maybe what others might want to hear is that. I, since I come from the brokerage space and I'm very successful in the benefit space, I've been known by a lot of very, very uh, high-level carrier executives. So I've had very, very interesting private conversations with a lot of the carrier level people. And they all want to know what I'm doing. You know, it doesn't take a dummy to figure out that they, they'd like to know what the mousetrap is, right? right? And you, you see these carriers that are trying to change their supply chain, right? And there's a couple carriers who have come to me that we, we can't announce quite yet, but I think we will in the summer who are saying, hey, look, we love your model. Of course, they want to buy it, not for sale, by the way. Um, but they're willing to do a fully insured catastrophic plan with enough credit on the aggregate side that they'll move over. First time that we're hearing about that in the industry, give us that powerful brand and let us sell a direct care version of their health plan through their brokerage network. Now, a lot of direct primary care docs will be choking on their coffee when they hear that. But, but I, I have a very different approach and a different feeling about direct primary care and scale. It bothers me as it should everybody that an individual direct primary care doc opens their doors Great, congratulations, you abandoned the Ibukas, good job. But you stop scaling your practice at 250 patients or 300 patients. That's not good. How does that accommodate scale when we have 300 million people in the United States? It doesn't. If you do the math, we don't have enough primary care doctors that if they all went on their own and did 350 patients and closed their doors, we'd be in big trouble. The math doesn't work. So you have to have these direct primary care practices that scale and have affiliates like the, the great Nextera's and the Diamonds and the uh, Strata's and the R Health's, they're the ones that are incredible. And then, by the way, nothing wrong with the individual DPC shop that doesn't want to scale. Those are good for rural areas, but there needs to be some type of synergy that levels the playing field where the pricing's all the same, the list of services are close and it's scalable because national companies are not going to get into direct care. Yeah. But even in rural areas, you have the county employees, you have the local hospital, you have the, you know, the school district. So you, there are enough people to get scale for a small rural office. Well, I would agree with that, but I've also spent time with a couple large municipal systems with 20 or 30,000 employees. And I literally went in there so full of energy with such a beautiful proposal to do primary care, urgent care, radiology, rheumatology, direct. And then what I get from the, the municipal decision makers is, 
you need to talk to these folks and they'll consider it. And I, and I end up getting thrown to, you know, Aon, Willis, or one of those big guys. And then, yeah, I get it's different with the smaller guys. So I think you'd find the rurals are more accessible. Yeah, no, no, don't get me wrong. It, it's happening. Like a good friend of mine, John Clay in Kentucky, like incredible next gen advisor, right? He's got scenarios where he's saving small municipal organizations, 40, 50, 60, you know, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year, moving them out of the darkness into the direct care. So it's an exciting movement, no matter what side you're on. But I think the big thing to look out for is that the carriers are not dummies, they're smart, and they're going to continue to build not only outcome out of the demand side, but build more and more on the supply side too, through buying up physician practices and buying surgery centers and buying up. Oh, United is the king right now, Dan. They've got uh, 23,000 PCPs last headcount. I did. They, they are, um, they're bigger than Kaiser Permanente. No, I'm sorry. They're close to 45,000. Kaiser's 23,000. They're, uh, they are buying private practices and, uh, especially during COVID, the accelerated, it picked up because, um, it was a great time to be buying. A lot of doctors were suffering. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of um, interesting movement. Uh, there's a, there's an APCO here in town, uh, primary care, and they got a, um, a letter. Their patients got a letter on the same day that they said, we're no longer supporting, um, uh, supporting you for telehealth. And then they sent it to all their mem- all their patients and said, we're now doing telehealth direct with United health and some of the others, they said, uh, I mean, it's anti-competitive as can be, but that's the, that's the way they play hardball. I think the bubble popped on telehealth a few years ago, right? I mean, right now it's about as easy to get as stone by a wheelbarrow. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost free. You know, it's, it's crazy. I remember when it was, when it first came out heavy, you know, mid two thousands and I was on the broker retail distribution side and, was like, hey, you can move your clients to virtual health and it'll cost the agency $1.50 a head. And some brokers are doing a really good job. They're charging 20 bucks for it. Think about all that money you can make in the middle, right? And I honestly, that never sat well with me. It was never really my intent to cash inflate the middle, right? I always wanted to do what's right for my clients. I, I enjoy learning that competitors of mine are charging clients 12 to 18% on their fully insured premium and then going to the CFO and telling them that for the first time and watching their reaction, right? So let's talk about that. What are you saying to the CFO? You've got 15,000 lives under management with this alternative model and then a lot more than that with the more probably more traditional. What is your pitch to a CFO to use you instead of the traditional uh, big letter houses? Well, Really, it comes down to supply chain economics, you know, keeping a, being able to analytically be keenly aware of what's happening under the sheets, right? I mean, your health plan, uh, as far as the codes of, of all the different things that are happening, you know, it's, I, I think of one group in particular has about 1,500 employees across a couple of different states, and they were utilizing one of the BUCAs, and outpatient claims were auto adjudicated CFO didn't believe that there was a strong chance that those similar outpatient claims that were happening in two different states were actually being paid out at a different uh, reimbursement and when we actually pulled the data which this particular carrier fought us on but 
the analytics company that we deployed had a pretty proprietary process to be able to extract that information. And we did get it. They were appalled and left the carrier, right? Because they didn't, the client never realized that for specific outpatient procedures, there was a very high chance that they were being paid at various intervals at various times. And so, you know, some of the, some of the examples here are, we have contracts now with 21 independent radiology practices. So I talk to CFO and I say, hey, particularly groups that have a lot of employees that are paycheck to paycheck or like, you know, middle, middle wage working Americans call it 30, 40, 50, $67,000 a year. When they have a $5,000 deductible, high deductible health plan, and they get referred to a hospital for an MRI, right? Their, their exposure is five, six, you know, the cost of the deductible. If you could have a contract in place directly with a radiology group and just pay 250 bucks for an MRI for the same machine that your very same employee is stuck paying $5,000 for because they're trapped in your deductible. So are you selling savings? You're coming in and saying, I'm going to save you 20% up front? No, I mean, that's, that's very difficult to do. That's like putting a stamp on yourself with permanent ink, right? Like as soon as you say that to a CFO, you're going to save 20%. You better at least save 20, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I like the perspective of selling value, not on price. There's way too many people in the insurance business because it's such a commodity trap. And it's not going to change. Even people that listen to this are still going to go out and try to sell the cheapest, the next cheapest, you know, bag of uh, uh, beans or whatever commodity they're selling, whether it's bottle barrels of oil or it's 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 the approach. Like, how do you? Well, put it this way: we have a uh, a new site that's going to be coming out in July, directcaremarketplace.com, where people can go to. And there's going to be an entire menu of healthcare services that are direct. No middleman, no intermediary, no carrier. And though I can at least share that there'll be eight specific things in every community that will be able to literally hitch their wagon to this engine and consumers can go through it through an app and be engaged in complete community healthcare um, and enable them to get services like they could never have imagined so easily and direct for a fraction of the price of the normal supply chain. So we've been working on that for a while and it, it plays off of everything I've always wanted to do, which is really help people find the lowest cost net healthcare. Um, well, let's talk about if people want to find you, what's the best way to reach you? Probably the best way to reach me is Dan at thompsonrisk.com uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's interesting because I've moved from, you know, working for a pretty big regional agency to starting my own. And we really didn't get started much in the employer clients for a little while because we were so focused on growing the direct care network and talking to primary care doctors who've been in primary care for 30, 40 years about 21st century primary care. And being an avid study of what models are out there and seeing them grow. Yeah, I would just say, just say LinkedIn is probably the best way. And then of course, like I said, Dan at thompsonrisk.com. We'd love to share stories about employers that have saved tremendous amount of money moving to these direct models and 
I think we're really excited about what we're going to be able to do for individuals because there's so many people that have either lousy insurance or no insurance. And a lot of small businesses that unfortunately just can't offer healthcare to their employees, but they really love to. And we'll be able to help them do that. Dane, what kind of savings are you seeing out there percentage-wise? Well, I'll give you a good example. There's a case that we have in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, moderate-sized case, about 350 employees. We have them self-funded with a TPA. It's an interesting experiment because we put in place three different plans. We put in plan number one, which the employer almost pays 90% of, where it's direct primary care with reference-based pricing on all the catastrophic, and the TPA manages SPD and claims and does all that great work. Plan two is an HMO. So now we still have the direct primary care, but now we have regular network reimbursement on a leased HMO, self-funded, that costs the employees a little more for those that are too scared of the non-traditional because they truly get educated about how this works. And then there's plan three, which is more of a traditional PPO, traditional PBM, no direct primary care, the least amount of employer contribution. However, let's remind that the lining of the plan is that they're meeting the minimum value and affordability and all the requirements of ACA and doing what they're supposed to do. The utilization, well, first off, doesn't make any, won't be surprised to anybody that 70% of the employees went to the direct primary care and reference-based pricing model because it was the most subsidized by the employer but also the most exciting. We're now in its third year renewal cycle and the utilization percentage of inpatient, outpatient, emergency room, acute care, all the bad stuff on the first plan is running 73% less than the only 30% of the employees that are on tiers two and tier three. So it's fairly obvious that, you know- 70%. 70%. Well, they'll oh, all migrate over. Absolutely. The primary care doc who's uh, handling that for us in Albuquerque, she just hired two more doctors. We've helped her scale and grow. Super exciting. Actually doing home visits. She just added um, uh, additional services because of the needs of the group because she's catering to them so much with uh, like hormone therapy, testosterone type therapy, uh, anti-smoking, like beyond in-depth primary care that she can offer, additional acute care stuff. So that's super exciting to see those employees. And they are a small muni. It's a water management district. So they're really drinking the Kool-Aid. And uh, they've referred us some groups in Arizona and a couple of other places that we're working on. But, but that's what I want to see. I want to continue to see that kind of success um, versus just the boring success of selling the status quo, which we do some of. But sometimes you can't. You know, if people come at you and they just want to buy the traditional, you're not going to tell them no. But you can't, so you can't go to a CFO and you can say, we can save up to 70% on like, yeah. you yeah, example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I usually ask a question at the end of each interview. If you could fly a banner overhead, what would it say? And I'm going to say, use Thompson risk and save 70%. <laughs> if I could guarantee that outcome, uh, that would be great. You can't ever guarantee an outcome in healthcare only because guarantee 30%, guarantee 40%. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, getting the middle is out 30, 40% is an easy start. But and by the way, do you see the biggest savings in the P in the pharmacy side of it, or do you see it 
happening on the direct primary care, the surgery? Where, where's, where's the bulk of the savings occurring? I think in the larger size groups, it's definitely in specialty meds, no question about it. Um, there goes without saying. But but when you get, now that there are these advanced RBP initiatives where there's balanced billing protection. When RBP kind of emerged in the last five, six years or so, and in those earlys, I was part of that early group of sort of, should we touch this electric socket or not? And, and we have a tendency in the benefit business, or at least I do, I think that's why I made my commercial insurance partners nervous. I always like to try stuff. Hey, if it, if it looks like it's going to work and it's got some proven credibility to it, I might be the first one to jump into it, right? And, and that's the best way to do it. I mean, sometimes you get, sometimes you get burned on this stuff. I lost a thousand life group from putting in an analytics tool in place that ended up going out of business, right? I mean, I luckily ended up getting the CFO back to listen to me and get it back again. And they, they actually went through chapter 11 at one point as well, the, the actual group itself. But you live and you learn, right? So you have to fail a lot in order to succeed. And um, it's an exciting movement. I'm, I'm excited to come to work every day and think about ways to help clients and think about the people that we serve and uh, think about the people that are in these small and medium-sized businesses that are going directly to these urgent cares and primary care doctors because of the model I created to help them. And they are completely, you know, these are families who are keeping their discretionary income. Um, I'll, leave you with this. Well, yeah, their deductibles went away. Their premiums went away. They now they have did. a raise. They, they got did. a $500 a month raise. That's a, that's significant. More than that. I had a guy, a big church that we did, Northern Tampa. They got a 67% increase from one of the bucas. Basically, it was an invitation to leave. And I brought Sidera Medical Cost Sharing and Direct Care to the table as a substitute. Now we kept the buca in there as an option, even though it was just barely made affordable to comply with their obligation to do so because it's an ERISA requirement and ACA requirement. Compliance is big in our world. We don't mess around with that. And you know, less than two to 5% of the employees went with the traditional insurance company, which did renew it even with two or three enrolled, but 150 went with the Sidera and the direct care. Just one of the leading pastors of the church who was on the fully insured plan for he and his four daughters and his wife, family premium decreased by $27,000 a year. That's a better school district. That's a better house. That's a nicer vacation. It's credit card debt eliminated. It's a life changer. I mean, it's a game yeah. changer. Yeah, the 67% increase before they met me was gonna mean letting go five employees. We saved all five of their jobs. Uh, less budget for their school, for their preschool, for their church. And uh, I will tell you that the, the pastor and the CFO, CFO's, um, she's such a sweetheart, but they, were, they literally care so much about their principal and their teachers and their preschool and their church that uh, at, at my presentation, they're put to tears because families could be saving that type of money and putting that kind of money back into their discretionary income for things that they can buy for their kids and savings and, and be able to, you know, get a little bit of a nicer car, maybe like the, for the paycheck to paycheck people, which is 90% of our economy, change in healthcare is a necessary. It's no longer a case for change. It's an absolute economic necessity. That's a good note to end this on. I, I, if I were one of the nuns who taught you in Catholic school, I would say you're 
a very good boy and you've done a fine job and keep up the work of God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, thank you for your time. We don't want to uh, extend uh, longer than we promised you. So good, good luck. And we'll talk to you again soon. I hope. Yeah. Thank you so much. Enjoyed the show, Ron. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.